Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Sandy Tom is a Scottish singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. She became widely known in 2006 after her debut single, I Wish I Was a Punk Rocker with Flowers in My Hair, topped the UK singles chart in June of that year as well as in Australia, Ireland and her native Scotland. The single became the biggest selling single of 2006 in Australia, where it spent 10 weeks at the top of the ARIA singles chart. Sandy has released six studio albums throughout her career, Smile, It Confuses People, The Pink and the Lily, Merchants and Thieves, Flesh and Blood, The Covers Collection and Ghosts. Up next on Slap Savant, we've got Sandy Tom. Where do we find you in the world? What's happening in your life and how are you doing? Well, I'm in Scotland. I moved back to Scotland just over a year ago. Before then, I was living out in the Middle East. I am I am doing good. Uh, I am just getting ready to, to do some more writing for my next album. Okay. Well, my next few songs, shall we say. Um, and yes, I'm doing very well, thank you. So now let's rewind let's take it all the way back whatever age it was so the hybrid version or the long version of sandy's entertainment journey so what at what age did you know okay cool this is where i want to go and how did that lead to the next levels of the entertainment world and where we are today probably from i would say from about the age of six six or seven i was very interested in singing and my dad would often sing and play his guitar. So, you know, I I always really enjoyed watching him sing and play. And that just kind of grew arms and legs throughout my life to when I was around 12. I Because I was a keen piano player as well. So I started writing songs when I was about 12, 13 years old. You know, my parents encouraged it. Um, I did my first recording when I was 14, three three songs. Um, I did my first radio interview when I was 14. Wow. Um, and then I joined a band and I started pl- playing live and, you know, in events and even in like bars and clubs and all sorts of things. And so that was sort of my first taste of live performance. Uh, and everybody loved it. Everybody loved listening to me sing. So I pretty much just grew up with that always being the most prominent thing in my life till I was about 17. And then I was accepted into the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, where I went for four years and did a degree. But while I was doing my coursework, I would I had my band also. And then we would, you know, play again all the clubs and the bars and the, the Liverpool music scene. Um, and I was just kind of cultivating a sound and and I was also part of a gospel choir as well when I was there so yeah just immersed in music really throughout uh when I finished there I moved to London which is what everybody does (laughs) and I started writing a lot as a songwriter um working with various different people and completely different genres very poppy I, I became very good at writing very classically pop songs that's sort of what i was doing most i was writing with other people writing top lines like as in 
writing melodies and lyrics and then I would sing them and vocal them and demo them and stuff so I did a lot of that in the early years um and then you know I that's where I formed my my initial team of people like my publisher my manager who I then met and I went on a journey of writing so many different songs probably you know 10 20 30 40 songs or whatever until until I got to the point where I wrote punk rock or yes and the rest of that album so and a lot of people from my past had an involvement in that album the my one of my co-writers and my co-producer one of the producers was, was somebody that I had met at uni um the two people that played with me on stage primarily all over the world were also two people that I'd met in uni so a lot of the people that I met in Liverpool came with me on that journey and were and played a significant role in in the development of the the, the sound and the music and everything that, that brought me up to like around 2005 and and I'd just you know been grafting until that point until I wrote that song and then that song was the moment where ever, everyone sort of went oh that's that's special so yeah. you know and then when you when you finally get to that moment then then it, then the game changes a little bit so to unpack a little bit of what you mentioned so you said you're playing guitar and piano so what as a child so what drew mm. you to those instruments and did you prefer either one of them or you enjoy equally both of them i was playing piano because you know my, my family were all very musical my dad's sister it was a piano teacher so mm. I naturally was just put into piano lessons and I, I, I was somewhat scared of her. She was quite, um, <laughs> she was a bit scary. So <laughs> I, I, so I did do, I did practice <laughs> um, and I became good at it. Yeah. I didn't pick up the guitar until later on in life when oh, I was okay, actually okay. studying and I started playing. And then probably because of my dad who, was always playing 12 string guitars I started playing 12 strings and mm-hmm. I pretty much never play anything else on stage other than a 12 string um but those were just the the, the tools for writing I think okay. more than anything because I was writing a lot as well those were just naturally the instruments that you would go to to write on um and then I also play blues harp is blues harmonica with harmonica but primarily in the style of blues which was something that I also my manager said you know you should learn how to play the harmonica (laughs) (laughs) so I did okay um and that's 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 kind of cool like I don't that's not a common thing for for women to do anyway but and you said that you started performing at the age of 14 you did your first show yeah so pre to that time and getting onto the stage once you'd finished that first performance was it is what you expected or how was it different to what you expected compared to your mind's thoughts of how it would potentially be um probably quite different because <laughs> you know i was playing there was one place that i used to play at where the keyboard we balanced on the end of the pool table okay. <laughs> and you know there was no monitors there was nothing it was yeah. just you, you know just try and hear yourself if you can <laughs> Um, so it was all very um, rough around the edges so I'm sure that's not what I had envisaged as a child you know spinning around in my room when I thought about being on a stage but that equally you know the experience of getting applause and to 
fill up a room of people with all this energy and and for them to love what you're doing and you know the the payoff is still the same so I definitely loved that because I think it also helped me in my confidence because I was never particularly as a as a child or or just in my everyday life I was never particularly over the top or chatty or you know I was never the yeah. center of attention ironically so for me it was my place where I could um I could you know perform and through that it definitely helped me to be more confident so as much as it was not what I had envisaged it was very beneficial to to have done all of that and musically as well like the people I was in the band with were much older than me so they helped me to learn about all these bands from the 60s and the 70s that I would have never naturally have you know leaned towards if I hadn't have been in that band yeah but then obviously I went on to to perform in so many different environments and different situations in different stages and in all over the world. So, you know, each and every one of those experiences have something great about them in in different ways. And the difference between you started writing as a teen compared to when you, you mentioned you became good at writing pop songs. So was it because yeah. you, you worked at your craft um, over a period of time, which allowed it to get great? Or was there a transition over time that allowed that to happen? What was the writing process? And is that process still the same process that in how you write songs today? Well, interestingly, when when you're younger and you haven't gone to college and you haven't learned about formats and songwriting you know whatever the styles and all these things mm. you just kind of innocently blurt out whatever it is you want to say yeah and and, and and strangely enough nowadays the modern pop song very much is just blurting out what you want to say you know if you think about let's say like capaldi or adele so many of the songs they're just they're like spoken word it's like something you would say to somebody in a conversation maybe i'll find someone like you you know so like things like that like they're not like they don't turn heads lyrically there's an honesty in it yeah and when you're young that's kind of where you're at you don't try and over like overdo it you just say what what you need to say and like you're talking to your friend and then, you, you know, for me, which is what I did, and then I went to college and, and, and then I learned and then I learned about structures and formats and, and in the professional side of things. And so then when I went and I wrote, I wrote predominantly for other people in the beginning, but I delivered something that at that time, pop, was very contrived. And I was able to write those very contrived, cheesy, over-the-top songs. Yeah. Um using all of these tools that I'd learned. But the thing that I never did was I never really applied that logic to myself. So for my own right, for my own music, my own writing, there's a completely different process to when I sit down and write a song for someone else, Okay, which is weird. But I kind of compartmentalize that in my brain. I don't ever write a song in the same way that I would write it for someone else. So I do approach the two things very differently. But it's strange how... You know, sometimes, like, you know, people would say when the things that children say, like, out of the mouths of babes, there's something so innocent about what children say. And 
they just sort of say exactly how it is, you know, yeah. which is strangely how people are trying to now write songs with that innocence again. It's also for me, it's great because it's I have I'm having to sort of deconstruct to a degree all of the things that I've been taught to do and just go back to when I was 12 years old and I didn't really know what I was doing but then I did what I did was very authentic and and real so yeah that's kind of how I've I've ironically arrived back at the same place where I was when I was 12 (laughs) as a songwriter. This deconstruction you mentioned from going back to what you learned to where you were mm. to 12 is it an easy process or is you or are you finding it a bit challenging it is challenging to a degree because i think sometimes with writing songs songwriters do feel the need to come up with some genius metaphorical language and oh wow you know it, the, the the real head turning lyrics and mm-hmm. there it, it is sometimes hard to be simple i you know you, especially if you are very talented and you can overcomplicate things you tend to yeah. um the hardest thing definitely is to make something simplistic great so if you can sit down like it you know irrespective of the changing of times and no matter what the different genres that come and go or whatever styles there will the three chords and the truth will never get old so yeah yeah, it is the hardest thing to sit down and just do something that's so basic just sit down play three chords and write a song but say something that everybody can relate to and in the most conversational way and yeah and i do think that that is what really tunes in nowadays that people really tune into that type of writing it is hard you do want to over embellish things you want to use colorful language you know you want to do put all these things into practice that you've learned so it is difficult yeah so going back onto the journey so from the punk rocker song and that explosion of you know success were you expecting it? How did that go on to the next phase of the next a number of years? Tell us the next part of the journey. Mm. No, I don't think anybody ever expects it. I think you can hope for it and dream about it. You know, when you're an aspiring artist, sure, you hope that you're going to be super su- successful at some point, but I don't think you can ever foresee. You, you definitely can't ever predict how that's gonna happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I definitely never predicted that I would write a song as odd and kooky as punk rocker and that that would be my turning point so yeah it was very surreal and unexpected and almost so surreal that it was like it wasn't really happening you know you sort of don't quite get it at the time because life was so crazy Mm. Um, all of a sudden it just got so crazy Um, and I think that probably the one thing that's hardest for most people in that position is the idea that suddenly you're of such importance I think that's the one thing that because so many people in my industry in this position are so very reserved and sort of shy and don't think all this of themselves in real life and so when you become this person of importance, it's kind of odd. And you just sort of go, why? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was all really a bit, a bit strange. But, you know, it was amazing. So for a long time, I just was so busy. And all of a sudden, I was all over the world and, and exhausted as well, but in a good way, because it was so much work. Um, 
and you know doing all these interviews all of a sudden that nobody had ever trained me to do and all these different things all these photo shoots that nobody had ever trained me to do and all these things that I'd never really done before so it was a very steep learning curve and I think for me I felt that pressure of of doing something that was of equal measure I think that was the biggest thing Mm. was can you write that song again (laughs) you know um but I think, in, in, and strangely enough, that's all, it's kind of where I'm sitting at right now. Because I've never really tried. That was the thing. I thought, no, I couldn't. Why would you want to do that? It's a, yeah, exactly. It's a unique yeah. thing. So, I, yeah, it was a very rushed process to do my next album. And I sort of think I would have much preferred to have gone away for a few years and worked on it and really given myself or been given the time that I took to do the first one again. And then I do think it probably would have been a slightly different story. But it was very like bang, 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 get the next record out, yeah. keep riding the train, so to speak. Um, and I didn't feel that the second album was as authentic as the first and okay. in, wasn't as authentic in, as to me as, a, as an artist. So, okay. But then there were so many people involved in the process. There's so many uh, people to please. There were so many voices, so many opinions. Sometimes I think there's too many and it can dilute things, you know. Yes. Um, it can come so far away from the original vision, you know. You sort of lose sight of what it was you wanted to do initially. Yeah, I think perhaps there was too much of an emphasis on trying to recreate the same thing again. But the journey for me after that, you know, there was a lot of challenges too because I didn't I didn't continue down the road with the major label and then I started a, my own and then been, went on a completely different journey as an indie artist but I'm very resilient and very determined and mm. strong so I kept going and then I kept releasing albums and in a way it was kind of weird because I got the creative freedom back yes. so I could do what I wanted to do but they didn't have the power of the wheel of the you know of the of the machine as we call it behind yes. me so yeah but i mean i i had such a, a very interesting journey since then making different records working with different people and at the end of the day no matter where i went or or who i worked with everybody still recognized at least that you know wow you're a really good singer and you can write songs and <laughs> so there was an appreciation for that to some degree i sort of got almost came away from the the novelty of the first songs the first album's success and sort of wiped the slate clean to an extent um with some of those records that i made and they weren't huge massive worldwide smash hits but then that's just because i didn't have that machine again you know so you you do what you can with what you have um it's not never a reflection of the quality of the music you know there's so many unbelievably talented artists that don't see the light of day um it's just about what people get sort of drip fed in the end what do they hear these days there's so many indie artists independents that um it's becoming more of the norm so you were one potentially one of the first ones of the pack leading and showing the people that it doesn't have to be the machine yeah i mean it's a hard journey and i think that the, the lessons that you learn along the way are that you can't run an indie label like you're on a major. You know, you have to change things. You have yep. to do so many things differently. But the the great thing about the evolution of the music business and how it's all 
changed over the years is that yeah like I came I came out at like the turning of the tide you know the, the yeah. digital revolution had just begun yeah. and then throughout that last sort of 10-15 years the power the the dial has moved to and it continues to move back towards the the powers back with the artist because we live in the age of information and you know so you you are discoverable now you weren't before because ma- because the mainstream media the radio in particular had the power to make or break you but now it doesn't yeah so it's a really healthy place now where it is in terms of if you're savvy enough and you understand yes what you have to do then yeah you can you can still be very popular so yeah it's very interesting the way that it's all evolved so that leads me to the next question because we were discussing earlier before we started recording about cds and so forth so i love me a cd Mm. i love the aesthetics of holding something the energy of saying thank you to you guys because that's my way of saying thank you for all the hard work i'm not sure if you're aware that the physical is making a great comeback. The vinyls, the cassette mm. CDs, great comebacks. Then we got these digital platforms that people are also consuming yeah. music on. What is your perception of the physical versus the digital? Um, well, I think I agree. Like I still, of course, I like tangible things to be, and you, you know, like you talk about energy. Sure, like I completely agree and appreciate that. The, there is an object you hold it and there's there you put your something into that so you can you know there's an energy from that um i i'm really happy that it's coming back and mm. i think there is a really neat way to interweave it all but strangely enough the web 3 is a really interesting um setup where you know you're talking about something that's so intangible that's living literally on a blockchain in the middle of whatever (laughs) for perpetuity (laughs) but at the same time you've got this sort of model where you you can build assets onto these intangible objects that are tangible it's almost like going back to like when you used to like order your magazines through the post every month and you've got this sort of fan club mentality you know where you can you've got like little things oh i can get a lyric sheet or i can get a signed cd or you know so web3 is like reintroducing the idea of these like tangible assets as and and it's like in exchange for your loyalty which is very old school so yeah i think there's a way to bring it all together um i would be yeah i'd be really chuffed to be able to do something again because for a long time i didn't actually bother pressing records really it just sort of went it just disappeared i would also like it to be you know because it's even when you market products these days you're talking about delivering assets so like the the audio is not even like two minutes long you know it's like one and a half minutes because everything is in like short form you know tiktok no attention span is gone halved and yeah so i would love to be able to also think that you know we go back to this place where we we go we make a an organic record we take the first cake we press it on a vinyl and you know like old school that would be brilliant because it also holds people accountable to whether they're actually talented or not yeah i i think it will everything is cyclical anyway so it, it's bound to reappear it's bound to reemerge. And it and in doing so it's coming back and it's like you know retro and <laughs> which is funny so yeah i've stayed retro be because i was giggling cool. because i still get my magazines delivered <laughs> 
<laughs> in the yeah, my subscriptions. <laughs> and uh, exactly. I still get my books, my DVDs and all those things. So I'm staying, mm-hmm. I'm becoming um, trendy now. <laughs> well, you're never going to go out of fashion. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, we were having, I was having a chat with my boyfriend um, the other day about cargo pants. Yes. Cargo trousers. We like, you know, when did they become like super popular again? Everybody now wears cargo trousers, and we're like, well, he just never stopped wearing them. So he, he's had his from like he's got his from like twenty, thirty years ago. So he's like back in fashion. Back in fashion, you know, like the, all of a sudden the workman's trousers became came back again, you know. So yeah, everything everything does inevitably come around again. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that resurgence. I love this game. Now, I know okay. if I had to ask you this question in two days, two weeks, two hours, two months, I know your answer will be different every single time. And I recognize that. <laughs> I'm not saying favorite, but if you had to push play to five songs by other artists, once we finish this interview, what would those five songs be and by whom? Oh, wow. Uh, a Case of You, Joni Mitchell, Lately, Stevie Wonder, Landslide, Fleetwood Mac. Um, what else? Purple Rain. Prince. One more. Um, one more. Mm, I don't know. Maybe something a bit warm. I, I probably should throw a modern song in there. <laughs> um, let me think. I'm going to go with Chandelier. See ya. Oh, okay. Cool mix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sandy, the podcast is listened to throughout the world. As a final mm-hmm. message to the listening audience, what would you like to say? What would I like to say? I'm going to say live in the end. That's what I'm going to say. Live in the if end. I had any one piece of advice to anybody. If you ever want to achieve anything in this life, if you ever, whatever it is you want, whatever it is you want to see, whatever it, whatever it is you want to be, whoever it is you want to be, mm-hmm. wherever, with whoever, live in the end, as in live as if it was already yours. Yes. Live as if it was already yours. Feel how you would feel if it was already yours. Live like it, because it does. It already exists. In the field of infinite possibility, everything exists. So live in the end. Live, live as if you are uh, the one you want to be. And, and you'll pull that reality into your, towards you like a magnet. <laughs>